Good morning once again. One of the second song we sang this morning had the words in it, Lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. And I had a plan what I was going to preach this morning. And I was praying about it last night, and I just sensed that the Lord would have us go somewhere else this morning. So what I want to do is really what the words of that song said, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. So I've entitled this, I don't have a title, um, but I've entitled this, Meditations on the Cross. We're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, and I thought it was fitting to just take a look at several, quite a number of passages that speak about our Lord's death on our behalf. So before we dig into God's word this morning, let us open in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was willing to leave the glories of heaven He was willing to leave your presence to take on human nature, to become one of us, so that he could ultimately die in our place. He could take the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Lord, we just want to say thank you. We want... To be reminded this morning of your love for us in sending your Son to the cross for us. Help us to get a renewed focus, a renewed vision of what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We ask these things in the name of his Son, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you would, turn with me to the book of Philippians. As I said, we're going to be looking at a number of passages this morning. I do not have a formal outline, but we are going to look at these passages of Scripture, all relating to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, his death for us. Philippians chapter 2 is where we will begin. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
this passage, the Apostle Paul is telling us about the glory that Jesus left behind. And really the contrast between the glory of being equal with God. Not that he left the equality with God, but that he left that glory from a servant. Literally, we're talking about a slave. God became a slave. Paul's point in this passage is exhorting the believers to also have this kind of humility, this kind of condescension. But our Lord Jesus Christ, he had every right to claim to be God because he was God. That expression that he did not count it robbery to be equal with God in verse 6. It means he didn't consider it as something to be grasped. It's not something that he had to reach for because he already was God. He is in the form of God. He who is in the form of God was made in the form of a servant. And notice that it's not just any death. There's really a progression here. He humbled himself to become a man. He humbled himself to become obedient to death. And it was even the death of the cross. We've got the humiliation of God becoming man. Of the creator becoming one of his creation. Then we have the humiliation of that God who became one of his creation. Being put to death by his own creation. And then, to add on top of that, That creation not only killed him, but they killed him in the worst, most painful, most shameful way possible. Our Lord did that for us. Let us move on to our next passage, which is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Like I said, I don't have a formal outline. I don't have a formal big idea that I want for you to come away from here with this morning. Except that you go away from here more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's really my goal. For you and for myself that we would just see the love of our Lord Jesus Christ for us in coming to die for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. Paul is again writing, this time to the believers in Rome. says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And that word for 
You could tr also translate it in the place of. In due time, Christ died in the place of the ungodly. Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And again, you could translate that. Christ died in the place of us. Christ died in our place. We were the ones who deserved to be put to death. But Christ died for us. And then let's go on to John chapter 15 and verse 13. John chapter 15 and verse 13. This is a statement by the Lord Jesus Christ himself before his death. John chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now there's a couple things in that verse. Number one, God could not demonstrate his love for us in a greater way than in giving his life for us. But second, God calls us his friends. The book of Ephesians says that we are his enemies. But God has chosen to call us friends. He's chosen to give his life for us as if we were his friends. John chapter 19, just a couple chapters over. Here we're, we're going to start reading the actual account of the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. This is in the midst of the trials of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is before Pilate. Then delivered he him, that was, it would be Pilate, delivering Jesus, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And then turn with me, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 27. We're not going to read the entire account. I'm assuming that most of us are familiar with this account. 
shows up in all four of the Gospels. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 45. Matthew records, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't know if you noticed earlier in Psalm 22, that Jeff led us in reading. It began with those words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because when Jesus died on that cross, he became the enemy of God for us. He was forsaken by God for us. Now let's skip down to verse 50. Here is the actual moment when Jesus died. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost or the spirit. And then, turn with me, if you would, to your Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He, speaking of the servant who is to come, at this point, this is a prophecy. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs, Carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Verse 5 But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, 
neither was any deceit in his mouth. And then that first line of verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Back in verse 6, Isaiah speaks, Isaiah 53, verse 6, Isaiah speaks about how rebellious we are. We have turned everyone to his own way. God is the one who created us. But like Adam and Eve, it's, we, we, we choose our own way. We choose to do whatever it is that he tells us not to do. And we choose not to do whatever it is that he tells us to do. We are a rebellious people. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that we rightly deserve. He took the punishment. He died so that we don't have to, so that we can live. All right, let's move on to our next passage. I thought I had another one here. In fact, I thought I had several more. Just a second here and I will... We'll find them. Sorry about that. All right, turn with me, if you would, to Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty one. I made the mistake of relying on the PowerPoint to tell me where, where we were going. And when it does, when it, when we're missing some slides, I'm missing my notes. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse twenty-one. Again, the apostle Paul writing this time to the church at Corinth says in verse twenty-one of chapter five, "For he, which would be God, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us." who knew no sin. Jesus Christ knew no sin. Why was he made sin for us? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We can be declared righteous in God's sight because Jesus Christ took our punishment. He became sin so that we could become right with God. Our next verse, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20. Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. At one time, we were apart from God. We were alienated from him. Not only that, we were his enemies. But because of Jesus Christ's death, we can be reconciled. We can be brought together with him. We can have a relationship of peace with our God through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. Next, turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. In Pastor Snow's series on the temple, he has talked about this word. I believe he has talked about this verse. And that is the word propitiation. Propitiation is a satisfaction. A satisfaction of wrath. When you see the word propitiation... It means that there is someone who was angry. And that anger, that wrath, has been satisfied. It has been appeased. And who is it that has had this wrath? It is God. What was his wrath against? It was against our sin. But Jesus Christ... Well, let's read the verse. verse 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. And he, Jesus Christ is the propitiation. He is the one who appeases the wrath of the Father. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And go back to just the very end of verse 1 there in 1 John chapter 2. John is talking about this advocate we have with the Father. But notice what he calls him. He calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. He fully lines up with God's standard of what is right and wrong. So when he dies, when he takes the punishment, it is full satisfaction. Fully satisfies the wrath of our God. He's the propitiation for our sins. Then turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. We have just a couple left here. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Again, speaking of the Lord Jesus, this is Peter writing... And he says, Who his own self bear our sins 
in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Again, that's a reference back to Isaiah 53 that we read earlier. But he bare our sins in his body on the tree. Literally, the idea is on the wood, on the cross. He bare our sins. He took our sins for us. And last, oh, I've got, I've got two more. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 1. The author of Hebrews is speaking about our need to be faithful, to continue on. He says, beginning verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, which doth so easily beset us, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the shame He endured the cross for us. And last, let us turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 6, and verse 14. Galatians, chapter 6, and verse 14. And this is the response that we should have as we consider the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, that I should boast, save or accept in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. The only place that we have to boast is in the cross. It's our, it's our only glory. So, I want to encourage you this morning to think about the cross. To think about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And if there's someone here this morning, whether in person, watching online, maybe watching a recording of this later, and you don't know, that you can't say that Jesus Christ died for you. you. You don't have that personal understanding of what Christ has done. The Bible says, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Christ died, I believe, for all people. 
And he makes that offer available. All you have to do is trust in what he has already provided. Trust in what his love has already given to us. But for those of us who are believers, as we're about to partake in the Lord's Supper, I just want to encourage you again to love the Lord. To have a renewed awe that he would save a sinner like me. That he would save a rebellious person like each one of us. Why would he do that? I don't know. The only answer I can give is that he loves us. This time, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to have a song before we celebrate communion together.